good Lord. What do we do? Please look down and recognize us, poor sinner. Please, Lord. I just want to see my daughters again. I've been separated from my family for so long. I know I've been guilty of pride and sharp dealing. I'm sorry that I turned my back on you, Lord. Forgive me. And help us, Lord. For the sake of my family. For Tommy's sake. And for Delmer's and Pete's. Let me see my daughters again. Once again, you two hayseeds are showing how much you want for intellect. There's a perfectly scientific explanation for what just happened. That ain't the tune you were singing back there at the gallus. In life, all of us are hoping for miracles. Some people go their whole lives just searching for a miracle. Maybe, maybe you're not even a follower of Christ and you, you don't know anything about God, but you go to the doctor and a bad report comes and then all of a sudden you want a miracle. You want it to be okay. Or your marriage gets in a very rocky place. And things get difficult, and all of a sudden, you want a miracle. There have been times in my life that I've cried out to God for a miracle. God, if there's any way you can change this, if there's any way you can make it different. A lot of people look at their life and hope for a miracle. We're in week four of a series we've been going through called Miracles. 
37 times in the New Testament, Jesus Christ chose to perform a miracle. Trumped the laws of physics and the laws of nature, and he performed miracles. And we've selected five different miracles to go through in this series, but every time Jesus Christ performed a miracle, other than what you saw that was going on, whether it was somebody that was healed or a, a storm that was calmed or somebody raised from the dead, whatever miracle was going on, one of the purposes for that miracle was to display the power of Jesus Christ. Because as you read the Old Testament that's prophesying and talking about Jesus Christ and the Messiah that's, that's going to come, one of the ways they could tell this person was the Messiah was that he was going to be able to perform miracles. Out in the open, in sight of everyone, miracles. So these miracles, which just in the original language the New Testament was written in, in Greek, it just means power. It's just displaying the power of God. A miracle is this. An event that appears to be inexplicable by the laws of nature and is so held to be supernatural in origin or an act of God. I can experience this explosive power of God in my life through what I'm going to talk to you about today, obedience. You know, people are searching for miracles all the time. Some people, some people want a physical miracle, Right? So you're driving by, you're stopping, you're at the red light, you look up there on the telephone pole, 30 pounds, 30 days. Some people, well, this one's still physical miracle. I sent our youth pastor out to pick these up for me yesterday. <laughs> Some people are just looking for a quick physical miracle, 30 pounds in 30 days. I don't care what it costs, just a quick fix. Some people... Looking for financial miracles? I don't care how bad a mess you got yourself in with your house. Come talk to us and we'll get you out of it. No problem. It'll be quick. It'll be easy. No matter what condition your house is in, no matter what your situation is in, we can provide miracles for you. Just call this number. And everything's going to be okay. And if you don't have any money, if you've run yourself into so much credit you can't pay for anything, give us $39 a month and we will repair your credit. People are searching for miracles. Now, I gave him no direction on what signs to get. And he got this one. I was like, well, that would be a miracle. So <laughs> just <laughs> people hope for miracles. Every week, every week, millions of people all across the country, at least in the states where it's legal, go into convenience stores. And what do they buy? Lottery tickets. Just hoping for a miracle. So yesterday, I went to a convenience store, and I had my coat up like this. And I went, no, I'm kidding. I went up to the counter, and I bought a couple lottery tickets, some of the scratch-off kinds, because I'm, I'm hoping for a miracle, right? So I'm going to do this right here for everybody. <laughs> this is the 20 grand top prize. This is real. So, Joel, if this is real, we're going to sing a lot. We're going to celebrate today. You know what I'm talking about? That new guitar? Yeah. You got it. All right, this just says simply just rub off. Oh, man, here comes my miracle. Wouldn't it be funny? <laughs> Sheets on Capitol Boulevard, let's go, you know. Um, first service was nothing, so let's see what we got this time. It's hoping for a miracle. All right, here we go. How many people in life are just doing this? Hoping for a miracle. So, 
one of these numbers match those numbers. Oh, I got the daily double. Let's see. Uh, nothing. Zero. How many people are going through life scratching lottery tickets, not literally, but just hoping for a miracle, for a relational miracle, a spiritual miracle, maybe even a physical miracle? What, what's the fastest way I can make everything okay? And if it's just scratching off a lottery ticket, then, oh man, I'll do it. Today we're going to look at a story in the Bible about a man who was searching for a miracle. Things were not going well in his life, and he was searching for a miracle. It's in the book of John in the New Testament, the fourth book, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. It's in the Bibles that are coming down. If you don't have a Bible, raise your hand. We'll give you one. It's yours to keep. You can follow along with us or read on the screen. As I read about this man who had spent a lot of his life just hoping things would get better. It's in John chapter 5, beginning in verse 1. Afterward, Jesus returned to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish holy days. Inside the city, near the Sheep Gate, was a pool of Bethesda with five covered porches. Crowds of sick people, blind, lame, and paralyzed, lay on the porches. One of the men lying there had been sick for 38 years. When Jesus saw him and knew he'd been ill for a long time, he asked, Would you like to get well? I can't, sir, the man said, for I have no one to put me in the pool when the water bubbles up. Someone always gets there ahead of me. Jesus told him, stand up, pick up your mat, and walk. Instantly, the man was healed. He rolled up his sleeping mat and began walking. Now, if you've been here for every one of these messages about miracles, you've probably heard some common themes. And when we picked the five miracles to go through, we knew they had these common themes that go through them that hopefully we can learn from and apply to our lives. But a couple of those themes, one of the big ones is that there's always a human problem to be faced. In every one of these miracles, whether it was the the man that was born blind, the disciples caught in a a storm, in a boat, whether it was um, somebody dead and his friends wanting Jesus to raise him from the dead, or the guy we're talking about today who was so weak that he couldn't even walk, all of them were about and are about human problems that are being faced. First week I talked about a man who had been blind from birth and how he found out that his greatest problem was an opportunity for God to work in his life. And then the disciples, when they were stuck in the boat and the storm was beating against it and they thought they were going to drown, they found out that in the middle of a storm, There's a lot more going on than what you can see. And God's at work in places that we don't even know about. And then last week, Darren talked about a man who was dead in the grave and brought back to life. No matter what, no matter what, there's always always the opportunity to start new and to start fresh. Another common theme going through all these miracles is there's more going on than just this physical thing that's happening, whether it's calming a storm or healing a blind man. There's a lot more going on than the physical. Behind the scenes, a little deeper, there's more things happening. So back to this guy who's by this pool in Jerusalem hoping for a miracle. 
in that verse, it says that crowds of sick people would come and lay by this pool. Blind people, lame people, paralyzed people would come and, and sit by this pool. There was an urban legend going around in that time. You've ever read about the urban legends today? How many of you have ever heard that you shouldn't eat uh, apples and things like that at Halloween? How many parents told you that because they might have what in them? Razor blades. That was, that was an urban legend. I believed it. I, my mom scared me to death. You know, I if it was hermetically sealed. You know, you're getting a clue inside of me now, if, if uh, you know me. If it were sealed, we could eat it. If it was not sealed, no way, no how. That was just a big urban legend. Nobody ever stuck those things in there for kids. No kid ever ate razor blades or stick pins or whatever my mom told me they were putting in there. It's an urban legend. And that's what these people by this pool believed in. Because all of these sick people who laid around this pool believed that God would send this angel down from heaven and that angel would stir the water and it would begin to bubble. And when it was stirred and began to bubble, the first person in the water was healed of whatever was wrong with them. So can you imagine what it was like when whatever geologic thing happened under the water that caused these air bubbles to come up and they're thinking, it's an angel stirring the water. Can you imagine how many sick people must have been around this pool just wanting to take the step and get in the water? It, it would have looked like a, a rest home or, or some kind of care for people who can't care for themselves. There would have been all of these sick people there just hoping, just praying that they could be the first one in the water so life could be different so things could change for them, so they could get their miracle and no longer have to deal with the handicaps in their life. You know, every one of us, in one way or another, are handicapped. There's something, maybe it's physical, but probably not. It's probably emotional or relational. We all have to deal with handicaps. You might look all fit up on the outside and ready to go, you know, 15 rounds with the champ, but on the inside, you could be a mess and a wreck and handicapped all over the place because the inside there, nobody really sees. You can fix up the outside. The inside is a different story. So many people go through life handicapped on the inside. And Jesus picks out this one guy of all these sick people that are around this pool. He picks out one person. That doesn't make a lot of sense to me. Jesus could have just said, hey, everybody, you're healed. There's no angel going to come down and stir the water. I got it covered. He could have done that. And everybody could have walked away, but he picked one person. I don't understand why, but I do know that this story is included in Scripture for us to learn from it, for us to get something out of it. And we're... I just don't think we'll ever understand why would he pick one person and not another person. I don't get that. But in this story, he picked one guy. Something about this guy attracted Jesus to him because he could see what was going on beneath the surface. He could see what was going on other than the physical. And he asked him one question. Would you like to get well? Now, here's, here's a bit of advice. If you're sick, lying in bed, and somebody that you know has the power to heal you comes by and says, would you like to get well? It's a one-word answer, right? What's the answer? Yes. I can't walk. I'd love to walk. I'm messed up emotionally. I'm messed up with addictions. I'm messed up relationally. Do I want to get well? Yes, I want to get well. 
But that's not what the guy says. When Jesus says, do you want to get well, instead of him saying, yes, I would love to be able to get up and walk out of here, he says this in John chapter 5, verse 7. I can't, sir, for I have no one to put me in the water or in the pool when the water bubbles up. Someone else always gets there ahead of me. That's just the way life is, Jesus. I'm just a sick guy, and I'm laying on this mat, and, and people are always going to always get there before me. Nobody's helping me. I just can't get out of this, this situation that I'm in. But he never said, yes, you bet I want to get well. This man, Jesus knew that this man had gotten comfortable with his handicap, whatever it was. The original word in that, in that passage is just, Sick, which means weak. doesn't say what was going on one way or the other. He was just a weak, sick man. And whatever it was that made him weak, it had become a part of his life. He had gotten comfortable with it. He had gotten used to it. And just like Jesus asked and approached this man with the question, do you want to get well? He approaches us with the same questions. You want to get well? Because he sees much more going on than just the physical. Yeah, the guy was weak. Yes, he couldn't walk. But he also had some other things he was dealing with. Because there's something going on inside of him and inside of us that Jesus wants to heal too. So he says, would you like to get well? And the guy says, I can't because. What weakness have you gotten used to? What weakness has just become such a part of your life, you're just used to it, and if somebody were to say, do you want to get well, you would say, well, I can't because you don't know who I'm married to. You don't know what kind of a woman she is or what kind of a man she is. I can't get well. You don't know what kind of job I have to deal with every day. Instead of yes, it's just comments that make it sound like you've grown used to your weakness, used to your handicap, used to your addiction. So do you want to get well? Have you grown comfortable with feeling like you're in control of your own life? Have you grown comfortable with self-pity or a subpar marriage or cynicism, where it no longer phases you when God says, do you want to get well? Because many times in my life, I've been just like this guy that was sick. I end up just coming up with reasons, coming up with excuses, because like him, many of us think, if I could only get there, things would be better. If I could only catch that one break, things would be okay. He's thinking, if I could only get down there in the water, life would just all of a sudden start to make sense, and then everything will be okay. If I could just get there, that sounds like lose 30 pounds in 30 days. It's going to be a miracle. Just buy this one ticket, scratch it off, and you could be a millionaire, and all your troubles will be over. So people go through life thinking, if I could just get there, everything's going to be okay. 
If I could just get this relationship or get this job or get this house or get this whatever, if I could just get there, then life would be fine. Do you want to get well? Well, I can't because we have this rule at our house. It's called the no wine rule. To me, oh, parents, how many of when your kids wine is just like, oh, how did you get in this family? You know, it's just like <laughs> sticking a pencil in my ear, you know, when my kids come up and they whine. And I know my wife's thinking, you should be me for a day, you know. That's what it sounds like this guy's doing. And yes, he's sick. Yes, he's weak. But it sounds like incessant. Yes, I want to be better. Come on, make me better. I'll do what it takes. I'll obey whatever I'm supposed to obey. I just want to be better. Instead of saying that, he comes up with the reasons he's not been able to get better. They won't help me in the pool. How many times have I whined when God said to me, do you want to get better? Jesus asks that simple question. Would you like to get well? But instead, I end up chasing something that wouldn't work even if I got there. Even if you got what it is you're chasing after, it's still not going to make you better. Even if this, this weak, sick man would have gotten down to the water, he would have still been weak and sick. It wouldn't have made him better, and he would have got there and thought, I waited all these years for this. I sat there on the side, and I longed for this. I, I let this consume my life, and I thought this was going to make me better. And here I am, still weak and handicapped. You know what the, is at the core of wanting to get things quick, fast, wanting to hit the lottery relationally and spiritually and emotionally and wanting to just scratch that ticket off and all of a sudden everything's fit. You know what is at the core of that? It, it's a desire to control our own lives. You know how you can tell if you're growing spiritually? You, you, want, you want to know? You, you, the way you can tell if you're growing spiritually, how comfortable are you with being out of control? And, you know, everybody, the A-types are like, oh, man. I'm, how many people are just comfortable being out of control? I've had to look into my life just recently and think, okay, there's a lot of stuff I cannot control. How comfortable am I growing with being out of control? Because when we are out of control, God is in control. In our house, we have this stick that we put up against the wall and, and measure our girls. And, and we take the stick out, and you can just see, probably got it in your house all the years, and, and how much they've grown. And if we had one of those sticks to measure how you're doing spiritually in the area of trying to control your own life, how would you be doing? How would you be growing? Because ultimately, we're not in control. Ultimately, God is in control. This guy it was looking for the quick fix, the lottery ticket. And with one question, Jesus says, would you like to get well? With one question, Jesus offers him a chance to change. In Exodus 15, verse 26, it says this, For I am the Lord who heals you. The Israelites, the Jewish nation, they had all of these different Hebrew names for God. We just say God or Lord. They would have all these different names for God the Deliverer, God the Comforter, God the, the pe one that brings peace. 
And the, the word for God here, the word for Lord here is Jehovah Rapha, which means the Lord, our healer. So the one question you should leave asking yourself today is, do I want to get well? Or have I grown so comfortable with whatever it is going on in my life, so comfortable with the control or trying to have it, have I gotten so comfortable with that that my problems have become a comfort to me instead of something that I need to put behind me? In John 5, verse 8, Jesus tells this guy to do something. He says, stand up, pick up your mat, and walk. Instantly, the man was healed. He rolled up his sleeping mat and began walking. If you're dealing with problems today, if your life is problem-free, please come talk to me afterwards. We'll see how you got there. If your life... If you're dealing with problems in your life, thinking that the next quick fix is probably going to be the way out, ask yourself this question. What is God telling me to do? You might think, tell me to do. God has never told me to do anything. I've never heard God's voice. Do I call him up? Do I write a letter? How do I I hear what God's telling me to do? That's why we hand out a Bible every week, because we want to put this in everybody's hand. And the primary way God communicates to humans is through this. And when you read these words, these century-old words, you can hear the voice of God. No matter if you're reading from 6,000 years ago or 2,000 years ago, you can hear the voice of God in the stories that you read about in this book. God told this guy to do something. He did it, and his life changed. Sure, he had problems. He still died eventually, I'm sure. I know he did. He's not around today, so he died eventually. Everybody that Jesus ever healed physically, they died. Last week, we talked about God raising somebody from the dead. He died again. So there's got to be something more than just the physical. So No matter how much healing can take place there, we're still going to die. Now, that's encouraging. I'm not going to end there, but that's like, wow, I learned I was going to die today in church. It was it was really, really encouraging. <laughs> going to die. Wow. No matter how much better I get, I'm going to die. <laughs> I can experience this explosive power that we see Jesus displaying when he says, get up, pick up your mat, and walk. That same power I can experience in my life through obedience. And the word obedience is not a real popular word. Sorry, I have to use it, but it's in there. A long time ago, I was sitting with this couple. They were getting ready to get married, and she had some questions about the ceremony because she wanted to know what's it going to sound like. And, you know, I try to write something specific for each couple. And, and so she just, she just had a question. She said, do, do I have to use the word obey? And I was like, oh, man. I was looking at this guy thinking, you're in trouble because I know where the obeying is going to be done. You know, she didn't want him to say it either. But I just thought, does that word scare you so bad that you, you want to be in so much control that you don't have to obey anybody, that you're your own person? Just leave obedience out of it. The marriage lasted 12 months. Now, you don't have to say obey, but you have to understand that throughout Scripture, there's a principle that's found. Whether you're reading in the Old Testament 
or the New Testament. You're reading about the disciples. You're reading about prophets of the Old Testament. It, it doesn't matter. There's a principle that's found throughout Scripture, and that principle is that obedience precedes the miraculous. If you've ever heard the story of Moses, he goes up to this burning bush when God's telling him to deliver his people from Egyptian slavery. And the first thing God says is, take off your sandals, you're on holy ground. He does it. He gets these words from God. He goes back and he delivers the people from slavery. He obeyed God and he experienced a miracle. God told Noah to build an ark. It had never rained before. Ark, what's that? It's going to rain. What's rain? Well, it's, you know, it's, it's water. You know, there's going to be all this water. Okay, God, you said do it. I, I don't get it. He obeyed God, and he got to experience the miraculous. The first week I talked about the guy that was blind from birth in John chapter 9 that Jesus healed by putting mud on his eyes and saying, go wash in this pool. And when he did that, he was healed, and he was no longer blind. See, I have an easy time expecting God to obey me when I say, God, my bank account's a little low. Can you fix it a little bit? Or I would like to have this new thing or that new thing or go here. And, and it's easy for us to expect God to obey us. But God, who loves us and has our best interests at heart, asks us to obey Him much the same way we would expect our children to obey us because we do know what's better. Now, there's one at my house that really believes she knows what's better, but, but I know better. How many times when you look through Scripture, you, you're going to find over and over again, you're going to find the miraculous because of people's obedience even if you're not a Christ follower yet, this whole thing called obedience and listening to what God has to say is the fast track to your heart, is the fast track to learning what being a Christ follower is all about. Not in some rule-following legal system to say, I've obeyed this, 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 and this, but obeying a being that has your best interest at heart. And if you're a Christ follower, I hope you already know that. For me, obedience might mean giving up some destructive behavior. For you, obedience might mean staying in a relationship that you're trying to get out of. Obedience might mean getting out of a destructive relationship that's tearing your life apart. Obedience might mean when we're finished today, you walk over to theater two and you say, I am tired of not, being, not knowing what to do to be a Christ follower. I want to follow Christ. How do I do that? And you just walk out of here, you go to theater two, and somebody's going to explain to you what it means and how to become a Christ follower. Maybe for you, obedience is taking, taking part in our baptism service that's coming up in a few weeks, saying, you know, I made a decision to follow Christ a long time ago. I've never done that. It's coming up in a few weeks. I want to do it. You can go talk to people in theater two about that too. Obedience means different things to different people just depending on where you are on your journey. What is God telling you to get up and go do? We're all struggling with a handicap in our life. Maybe physical, maybe not. Maybe you've been struggling for years looking 
for the quick fix. Maybe you have rubbed so many lottery tickets hoping that the next one is just going to be your trip down to the water and you're going to be first and you're going to get over there and all of a sudden life is going to start to work for you. Maybe that kind of living has worn you out. Try listening to God and obeying what He asks you to do. Is this, for those that have tried it, won't work. But listening to Him will 100% of the time. I can experience that explosive power of God in my life through obedience. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for this story and the way the way you saw way past this person's physical limitations and you saw right into their soul. God, you see that in our souls today. And I pray for those of us that need to to get up and do something, to obey, to listen, to change, that we would take those steps today. And God, for anybody here that's struggling with just accepting you and becoming a follower of Jesus Christ, I pray you just motivate them to go over to theater too and talk to our people who are ready to share with them how they can become a follower of your son. God, thank you for the miracles. Thank you for displaying your power so we can see how you work. God, may we feel your presence. May we communicate with you. And may we know that through our obedience that we can experience your power in our life. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.